Digital Yom, a podcast about living a symbolic life in a technological age. Man cannot stand a meaningless life. I'm Jason Smith, Jungian analyst and author of Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life. And in this episode, we discuss the surprising importance of vulnerability in the process of psychological growth. It's the human soul. That's the buried treasure. Only through our feebleness and incapacity are we linked up with the unconscious, with the lower world of the instincts, and with our fellow beings. Our virtues only enable us to be independent. There we do not need anybody. There we are kings. But in our inferiority, we are linked up with mankind as well as with the world of our instincts. My principle is, for heaven's sake, do not be perfect, but by all means, try to be complete. So as I was reflecting on last week's episode. I found that I couldn't shake this feeling that there was something incomplete about it. Last week I was speaking about the biblical story of Jacob wrestling with the angel. And in discussing that story, I I focused on the issue of struggle struggling or striving with God, wrestling with wisdom, and living the questions instead of seeking for answers. And all of these, I suggested, were qualities involved in the living of what Jung called a religious outlook on life. But there are more facets to this story. And I think it's important for us to look a little deeper and to fill out the picture a little more. Now, it's true that Jacob is the one who struggles with God, and it's said in the story that he prevails. But the truth is, if he prevails, he doesn't do so by conquering and overcoming the angel. If anything, Jacob's victory is to endure and survive the struggle. He's grateful for the remarkable fact that, as he says, my life has been preserved. And he's not unaffected by the whole encounter. 
While they're wrestling, the angel dislocates his hip. And when he eventually walks away from the encounter, he does so with a limp. But it's this wounding, I want to suggest, that constitutes Jacob's victory. He grows because of it. Jacob, the trickster who stole from his brother first his birthright and then their father's blessing, who now faces the possible consequences of that theft in the form of his brother's wrath, grows by being humbled. His wound changes and softens him. And then, when his brother Esau approaches, Jacob bows low to the ground seven times. And in response, Esau runs to him and hugs him, and the two brothers are reconciled. There's a wonderful poem called The Man Watching. And in it, the poet Rilke makes an allusion to this story of Jacob. And his description of the effect on the Jacobs of the world, of their encounters with their angels, is powerful and incisive. And he says this, he says, Winning does not tempt that man. This is how he grows. By being defeated decisively, by constantly greater beings. This is how he grows. By being defeated decisively by constantly greater beings. This is the dynamic that Jung is pointing to in that quote with which I led off this episode. And this is a quote that comes from a series of talks that Jung gave in 1935, collectively known as the Tavistock Lectures. And in the quote, he says that it's through our feebleness and incapacity that we're linked up with the unconscious, with the lower world of instincts, and with our fellow beings. In other words, He's saying that it's through our human frailty, through our wounds, through our not quite put together parts of ourselves, that a meaningful connection can take place both with other people and with our own depths. Our virtues, he says, only enable us to be independent. And that's a very interesting way to phrase things. Our virtues, that is our strengths, only enable us to be independent. Strength and independence, Jung seems to be suggesting, are in themselves inadequate for a fully lived human life. When we live out of our virtues and our independence, we do not need anybody, he says. But our inferiority, as he calls it, links us with mankind as well as with the world of our instincts. 
In effect, what Jung is saying here is that in our strengths, there is a hidden weakness. And in our weakness, there is a secret strength. So how are we to understand this? What is the strength in our weakness? The growth that comes through defeat. Well, the key point here is that it's only when we discover the limits of our powers, of our will, our reason and understanding, our sense of mastery over our lives, it's only when we find the limits of these that something new and creative can emerge. It's when we discover the limits of our ability to affect the course of life that we become open to being affected by life. Instead of changing the circumstances surrounding us, we are changed by them. It's at this moment when what we know fails, what we don't know emerges to fill the gap. Or to use Jung's language, through our feebleness and incapacity, we are linked up with the unconscious. And this is when we're receptive to an illuminating dream or a helpful intuition or a creative idea. In the words of the immortal Leonard Cohen, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets through. And this has important implications for the practice of the symbolic life. For in that work, it's essential that we learn how to submit to the initiative of the symbol. And this means learning to receive our psychological images from our dreams, our waking fantasies, and our creative imagination, to receive them humbly, with openness and curiosity. It means not imposing our perspective, or our agenda, or our fixed ideas upon such symbols. To work with symbolic material in our psychological and spiritual lives is not a matter of interpreting it according to what we already know and think. It's not about analyzing our unconscious, as Jung says when he's speaking about his technique of active imagination. Rather, it is to give your unconscious a chance to analyze yourself. And so the move here is one from invulnerability to vulnerability. We need to allow cracks to form in our psychological armor if we want to let in the light of self-awareness, compassion, and meaning. And this is a theme that is powerfully presented in the story of Parzival, one of King Arthur's knights. 
in his search for the grail. And so here's a retelling of an episode from that tale in which Parzival makes the first of two visits to the Grail Castle. Leaving behind his new bride, Parzival set off in search of Lady Adventure. Feeling troubled at being thus separated from his love, he becomes lost in thought and drops the reins of his horse. The horse pulled the dragging reins over fallen trees and through marshy land, for no one's hand guided it. In this way, and without knowing it, Parzival arrives at the outskirts of the Castle of the Grail. On the lake near the castle, he sees an old fisherman. This is none other than the well-known wounded fisher king, the king of the Grail Castle. Now the king's wound, so the story relates, was received in part because in his youthful pursuits, he failed to embody the appropriate spirit of humility. Unbeknownst to Parzival, he has the power to heal this king and to free the kingdom from the sorrow and barrenness that pervade it. Parzival is made the honored guest at a great banquet, and a ritual of great sorrow and solemnity is presented before him, culminating in the appearance of the grail, which is described as the fruit of of blessedness. And according to the story, Parzival did not fail to notice the richness and the great wonder, but for courtesy's sake, he refrained from questions, not asking any questions, it turns out, is a catastrophic error. The next morning, Parzival finds the castle deserted, and when he rides off in search of the others, the castle disappears altogether. At this point, the story declares, grief may arouse him now, but it is a thing he has not been accustomed to, nor did he much long for it. And it continues, his adventures begin now in earnest. Parzival's great failure is a failure of empathy. He's enthralled by the sights of the Grail Castle, but he fails to ask a pivotal question. He's been taught by his mentor that it's not proper for a knight to ask questions. And so instead of following his spontaneous 
curiosity and concern, he chooses instead to preserve a kind of unmoved attitude, the persona of the impassive and invulnerable knight. And the question that Parzival fails to ask is a deceptively simple one. What is it that troubles you? And one of the things that happens to people when they go through an experience of grief for the first time, after they've lost someone close to them and struggled through the long, dark valley of grieving, is that they emerge with a new awareness of others' pain. Many experience remorse when they reflect on their lack of understanding before having gone through their own experience of loss, of the depth of suffering that others have endured, and of their lack of adequate compassion toward it. Like Parzival, they realize that they did not know enough at the time to ask the critical question. What is it that troubles you? We do not know what we do not know. And this is the kind of knowledge that can only be gained by going through the experience. We grow by the defeats that life hands us. Of course, this kind of change in perspective isn't only the result of painful experiences. There are also life-changing experiences that are joyous occasions. Having a baby, for instance. But either way, these kinds of experiences not only change us, they change the world in which we live. They are truly transformative. Whether such experiences are joyful or sorrowful, we are initiated by them and by life into a new state of consciousness. We become different people. Life events like birth and death are those that break open the heart such that we are no longer able to stay isolated in our own private consciousness. Now we live in an awareness that what happens to the other affects and involves us too. We become vulnerable. And another name for vulnerability is nothing other than love. But that is a subject for another time. In the Parzival story, it's in part his initial defeat and failure at the Grail Castle that prepares him for his ultimate success. His failure begins a process by which his personality is tempered, softened, and opened. 
From this point on, Parzival learns from others. He grows in humility. He learns to let himself be affected by life, vulnerable to both its joys and its sorrows. And eventually, he finds his way back to the castle. And in the words of the story, he learns the right balance of knowing when to grieve and when to abstain from grief. And this time, he will succeed in asking the healing question. This softening, this growing through humility and vulnerability are important not only in our openness to others, but in our openness to our own psyches. If we are too identified with a particular self-image, we're in danger of ignoring other vital aspects of our personality and our potential. We may develop part of ourselves, but leave other parts undeveloped. One aspect of the symbolic life is that it opens us to the fullness of the life that wants to live in us. The individuation process, said Jung, is to become what you are. But that might mean that we have to let go of who we think we should be or who we have been told we're supposed to be. And that can be felt as a kind of defeat for the old outworn ideal. So what's the takeaway from all of this? Well, I can think of no better one than Jung's own from the quote with which we started. For heaven's sake, do not be perfect. But by all means, try to be complete. Until next time. You'll find information in the show notes for all the sources used in this week's episode, as well as links to connect with me on social media. Let's make this a conversation. If you have questions about anything you heard in the episode or that you'd like me to address in a future episode, send them to me on Facebook or Twitter using the hashtag DigitalYulm. And finally, if you want a deeper dive into the kind of material explored in this podcast, please check out my book, Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life, available now from Chiron Publications. Thanks for listening and take good care.